Job chapter 28. Let's celebrate and embrace and be thankful for all that we're told in the Bible about the fear of the Lord. The promises that are attached to it that He knows right well and that He will keep. The simplicity of it and the all-encompassing value that it has for our lives. Job 28, you read it last evening. I only want to spend a moment here. When you read the first verse, Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. And you go on through some of these verses. You know, the Lord's shown us what this chapter is all about. And once you get to the last verse, you know what it's all about. And once you get to verse 12, you have a hint for what it's all about. And when you get to uh, verse 20, you have a further hint to keep you reading. But it's a, it's an obscure chapter. But it's about the search for wisdom. And it starts out with what men have done to try to find gold and silver in the earth and to pull it from the ground. And topazes and onyx and sapphires are mentioned here about the enormous amount of capital, time, risk, ingenuity that is applied to get these metals and precious stones out of the earth. And the whole chapter is just to lead us to where is wisdom found? Because while they're down there, miles under the surface, digging up gold and silver and bringing it up to the to the top, you know, at uh, $300 an ounce in today's current cost of production for gold, or approximately $400 an ounce, um, they get it up to the surface, they get up other precious stones, but where's wisdom found? You know, men are able to find these little tiny veins of silver and these places of gold, but where is wisdom found? And the whole chapter leads us toward the last verse, verse 28. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Do you notice in in all these places that we find, there are some similarities? Stand in awe and sin not. What does it say here? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The constant theme that the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Let's thank the Lord for His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that by the Holy Ghost You inspired many men to write the book that we have before us. We thank Thee for its books, chapters, verses, the two testaments, and all the different literary genres that are present here for our learning. We thank Thee for the Divine Library. I thank Thee for Job 28. I love the way that You lead us through all the efforts of men to find the metals and the stones for their trinkets. But you have told us the secret in how to discover wisdom and understanding. It is the fear of the Lord and to depart from evil. Bless us now in the remainder of this study that we might delight in the fear of the Lord and embrace it and go from this place, Heavenly Father, standing in awe of Thee and sinning not. 
perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of our external conduct and our internal processes because of the promises that you have held out to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. In Psalms and in Proverbs, it would say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even get started with wisdom until you fear God. All reasoning begins with a set of presuppositions. All men reason from assumptions that they begin with. Natural man reasons from nothing. He reasons in a circle from nothing. That's why he ends up at nothing. He reasons that the next man is intelligent, that Stephen Hawking is intelligent, and that it was a big bang of chaotic gases and matter that was floating around in the universe. Our presuppositional thinking stems from what the Bible tells us, that there is a God that He's revealed Himself, and we reason from that. And we have the foundation for intelligent reasoning. All reasoning begins with a set of presuppositions. It doesn't matter who it is. They can say that we are reasoning in a circle. They're reasoning in a circle, but they're starting from nothing. We're reasoning in a circle from a supernatural book given to us by a Creator. And so, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it's the presupposition that there is a God. He is the Creator. He is the Revealer. And I know truth because of Him, and I reason from that. And it's entirely different, and it's the foundation for all true wisdom. Pagans appeal to the accidental origin of the universe and their baboon ancestors, which gives them leave to hallucinate anything they wish, since they are as wise as the next baboon. What they call science is speculation instead, profane and vain babblings as Paul called it. Those who fear God begin all reasoning with an all-wise creator that wrote a manual of instruction about origins, rules of conduct, reasons for dysfunction and death, and salvation and other subjects. Without fearing God, man is entirely unreasonable and stupid. It's It's a huge blessing to fear the Lord, to stand in awe of Him, to not sin, to order our lives according to His commandments, to walk with Him, to seek Him, to serve Him, to love Him. And I want to send you today home with that as the goal for your life to more powerfully and personally keep God as the center of your life. The basis for all your decision making, that you want to please Him and glorify Him, keep His commandments. Look at Psalm 147. Let's just entertain ourselves for a few more minutes before we do some explaining of the benefits of fearing the Lord. Psalm 147 puts it this way. This is a a different kind of a verse than we've looked at. Psalm 147, verse 11, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. Now here, fearing God is connected again to hoping in His mercy like it was in Psalm 33 and some other places that we've seen. But what I want you to get from this verse is the Lord takes pleasure in those that fear Him. God taking pleasure in you, us, one of us, individually? Yes. The Lord taketh pleasure 
in them that fear Him. Let's embrace fearing God, standing in awe of Him, delighting about Him, respecting Him, honoring Him, trusting Him, counting on Him for everything immediate and small, counting on Him for everything large and distant from us, like the affairs of nations. We trust Him. He is our God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Jehovah is my God. His religion is my religion. So we fear the Lord. And it changes how we live because His religion is our religion and He is our God. Look at Psalm 103. I know that Psalm 103 is a favorite of some. And it has some wonderful things about the fear of the Lord in it. There's a section in Psalm 103 that is about mercy. It starts around verse 8, and it runs down through about verse 18, about the mercy of God. I want to show you verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, and that's very high, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. If you fear Him, meaning He is your God, you have committed your life and your eternity to Him, He's going to be merciful towards you. Because verse 11 tells us that. We come down further. And in verse 13 we're taught, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. If you want God to have pity on you and be merciful, remembering your frame that you are dust and that you cannot perform at a super high level, that you are still racked with the flesh, if you want Him to remember those things, fear Him. Make Him your God and His religion your religion. In, in everything that you think and do, today and tomorrow and as many days as the Lord gives us. In verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. There's blessing again in Psalm 103 upon those that fear Him. Let's flip back to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. The Bible is filled with promises about fearing God and the benefits that God will heap up upon those that love Him. Psalm 25 and verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. God will personally be your tutor and lead you in the way that you should go if you fear the Lord. He will lead you through life. Verse 13, His soul shall dwell at ease. Would you like to dwell easily and have an easy life and have the Lord take care of you? His soul shall dwell at ease. His seed shall inherit the earth. There will be a progeny for you because you fear the Lord. That Those are wonderful blessings that are promised in verses 11, and 12, and 13 of Psalm 25. But then we can go to the next verse. Yes. Verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. God has dealings that are called the secret things of Himself. He made covenants before the world began of what He was going to do, the purpose and the basis behind the whole drama of creation and your existence. But the Lord will show that to those who fear Him. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. And He has shown us 
His covenant. We are able to read about things done before the foundation of the world throughout the pages of Scripture. Who was assigned to do what? And what names and and what books were written with names in them before the foundation of the world? And if you fear the Lord, He will reveal these things to you. If you don't fear the Lord, you'll never even know these things exist until you find out that there was a secret counsel for you as well. That you're a vessel of wrath fitted for destruction. Then you'll know about the secrets of God. But we know about them way in advance and how we can make our calling and election sure. What is the fear of the Lord? I hope I've explained that already. You know, my my outline is telling me that we've got a couple of hours here on what is the fear of the Lord. But I hope I've already explained it. Do you need to hear that verse again or read that verse again where Moses said to Israel, Fear not that ye may fear all the days of your life. For God hath shown Himself this way in order to prove you that ye may fear Him. There is a fear that God does not want you to have toward Him. And that is a painful, dreadful, terrorizing fear that causes you to cower around Him. He wants you to run to Him so that your fear is respect and trust and hope and awe of Him. And those are two very different things. I have labored for an hour already today to separate them distinctly for you. Do not let it be that other fear. That's the fear of the devils. That's the fear of Adam and Eve. When you sin, what do you do? Do you think God's going to crush me, kill me today? I'm probably going to be in a car accident. If you sin during the day and there's a storm at night, are you sure the lightning over Greenville County and it's 800 square miles is for you? That's wrong thinking. His lightning is just showing you what he can do. He's dividing the flames of fire. And no one in here has ever been struck yet, no matter how many times you may have thought that. Because He wants you to trust Him and run to Him, confess your sins, and He is such a great God, if you trust Him, He is faithful and just to forgive you. It's not based on some willy-nilly feeling of His that He might forgive you. He is faithful because He has promised to forgive you on the grounds and merits of Jesus Christ's finished sacrifice for you. He will forgive you. And fearing God includes that. Look at Psalm 130. This is a favorite of Matthew Jones. Psalm 130. Look at how this is worded. Psalm 130 and verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Now, is forgiveness from God going to provoke fear that is terror, that is terrorizing or painful or causes you to cower in a corner? Or is it going to lead you to Him and trust that you can run straight into His arms? In His arms there are 10,000 charms. Forgiveness leads to the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say annihilation leads to the fear of the Lord or destruction leads to the fear of the Lord, but forgiveness. So it's, it's a different kind of fear from the painful fear or dread, paranoia, skittishness, of a person toward God. He is not like that. Embrace Him and run to Him. That's faith and fear and love. So we're trying to distinguish 
what we want to understand about the words fear of God. Fear of God equals respect of God. Fear of God equals reverence for God. It equals the religion of God, submission to God, commitment to God, obedience of God, trust in God, worship of God, honor of God, all these positive terms of choosing to make God the object of your life, the purpose for your life, the standard for your life, the criteria for your life. This is the fear of the Lord. It's a foundational and comprehensive phrase. Where does it come from? It is a gift of God. You're in the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm 36. It is a gift of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, where it's proving the total depravity of man, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth righteous. No, not one. They are all gone out of the way. There is none that feareth God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In Psalm 36, verse 1, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Do you know how strong that verse is in several ways? Theologically, it says that the wicked don't fear God and they prove it by sinning. How do we show whether we fear God or we don't fear God? By our lives. How much sin is there? Or are we holy? Are we walking in His ways? And this applies to every single part of your life. Are you wives reverent at home? Reverent of your husbands. Treating them like your lords. If you are not, you don't know God. Because He has assigned your husband to be that Lord in your life. And you are to reverence Him. Because the fear of the Lord is to stand in awe and sin not. And one of His commandments is, Wives, see that you reverence your husbands. Every part of life can be taken from the Word of God and tell whether you fear God or not. Because if a person fears God, a wife that fears God will reverence her husband. She will never raise her voice at her husband. Ever. And we can tell if you fear God or not. Because if you fear God, you will recognize God made my husband. God appointed my husband. This God that I worship and whose religion I claim has made the position of husband and he has put the particular man in that position that is my husband. You had very little to do with it. God arranged so many circumstances for you to end up with the husband you have. It's really his choice. So just go ahead and forget what you went through in picking him. You don't have anything to do with it then. You don't have anything to do with it now. You're already in the marriage. You can't get out of it. So reverence him and show your fear of God. He's the ultimate authority. And the Bible tells us very plainly, God, Christ, your husband, you. Period. Get used to it. Embrace it. You say, well, that's easy for you to say because you don't have a husband. I have a president at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I know I honor him. Do you honor your husbands as well as I honor him? You say, I need to see a picture in your house, a framed picture in your house of our president. I know a brother in the church that I can take you to his house. If that's what you need, I'll get it. 
I'm not preaching on marriage, but you know, when we're preaching what the fear of the Lord, it affects every part of our lives. Every single part of our lives. When the men come together on Wednesday evening, if the if the Lord continues to lead me in the direction of what we're going to consider that night, it's going to get it's going to get down and dirty here. And it's going to come down to if we fear the Lord or not. When Joseph was alone in Egypt in the prime of life, for those of you that have taken anatomy and biology and those things, Joseph at the age of 17, were there any chemicals working in his bloodstream? Any testosterone? Is 19 the highest point of testosterone in a young man's life? Yes, it is, if you didn't know that. It's 19 years of age, and there is Joseph down in Egypt. Is he a long ways away from his family? Uh, could Could he do something and not get caught? Is he living in a nation that doesn't really have morals like uh, other like he was raised with? Did he have the urge? A strong urge. An overpowering urge. For those of you that want to call it overpowering. When Mrs. Potiphar embraced him and begged him day after day, it says that, day after day, begging him to sleep with her, how did he show the fear of the Lord? How can I commit this great evil against God? See, it wasn't Mr. Potiphar. It wasn't his job. He didn't care about losing his job. He wasn't looking for the next promotion from Mr. Potiphar. How can I commit this great evil against God? So it comes back to our fear of the Lord is reflected by our lives. And this verse right here, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, I'm able to look at a person's sin and realize they don't really fear God. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Do you remember why Abraham lied to the king of the Philistines that Sarah was his sister? Because I didn't think there was any fear of God in this place. Because, see, the fear of God would have protected, um, would have protected Sarah as his wife but because he didn't think there was any fear of God there, he felt that he had to lie in order to try to protect her. Because where you can sense and detect the fear of God, that someone is exalting God and delighting in Him, they're going to conduct themselves in a way that's compatible and consistent with the Bible. So every one of you, you know, you're going to go home and your spouse, if you're married, your spouse is going to know whether you fear God or not by what you do the rest of this day. By what you say, your moods, your actions, your thoughts. What you get done between now and when you go to sleep, your spouse will know whether you really fear God or not. Because that fear of God, of the, of the God of gods, do you remember that from Deuteronomy 10? The God of gods. He should get our attention. Stand in awe and sin not. It should, it should shut this thing up so it doesn't th- say anything that shouldn't be said. It should shut down your thoughts because the thought of foolishness is sin before this great God that we worship. And it should direct you to do what would be pleasing to Him the rest of today. Right. You know, and for those of you with children at home, they're going to know whether their parents fear God or not by how well they manage their mouth, their moods, and everything else that you are supposed to do. You don't have a right to your moods. Your moods are from hell. So why do you let them out? If you fear God, shut them down. Mortify Him. Put Him in the wood chipper. Where does it come from? Let's let's get back to where I was. Where does it come from? Is the fear of the Lord something that all men have? Can you work it up? 
It's something that comes from God. It's a gift from Him. By nature, we have a corrupt heart from Adam, so our affections are at enmity to God. But He is able to change them. It's placed in our heart by the regenerating grace and mercy of God. Let's look at Psalm 55 since you're there. Psalm 55. Verse 19. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old. That's our God, the Lord Almighty, Selah. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. We need to be changed in order to fear God. Look at Jeremiah 32. Lord, change us. You have changed us. Change us more. Increase our fear and love of Thee. As we just sang, more love to Thee, O Christ. Jeremiah 32, verse 39. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear Me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put My fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from Me. And one brother sent out the 41st verse this week that another, some other brothers told me about at break time, so I'll read it. It's verse 41. Dave Taylor. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Their God is describing His whole heart and His whole soul that is assuredly committed to do good to Israel. But what I wanted is in verse 39, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. We've already learned that fearing God is for our good because it said that in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 13. And here it's assuming that as well, but God's going to give us the fear of Him so that He can do good to us. Now that sounds like good, good to me. If God is going to be so good, He gives us His fear, and then He rewards us for fearing Him. Just let me think about that a minute. He's going to teach me how to fear Him so that He can do good to me and my children because I fear Him because of the fear He put in me. Is that true? Is that what it says? Who gets all the glory? He does. Every one of us should know that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would not fear or love God. We would be living for ourselves. It is by His grace. That is how gracious He is. From beginning to end, He is gracious. You know, once He's given us His grace, and He has, let's work it up and stir it up to fear Him like we should. Did you know that you can increase your fear of God by learning about Him, by getting into the Word? Look at Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. You can stir up and increase the fear of God that He has put in you by His Word. You're familiar with Psalm 3411, aren't you? Where David said, Come, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. When there's something bad in a family, there's only one place you should go, and it should be your first or last resort. First resort. Prayer to God. When something good happens in your family, first or last resort, what do you do? Celebrate, get party favors, go out to eat, or give thanks to Almighty God for doing it for you. It's a lifestyle choice. It's a worldview choice. It's God being the center 
of everything. David said, come, my children, Psalm 34, 11, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord so the fear of the Lord can be taught. And it's given by God. They're both true. God has to put it in here. We can put it in here. And when the two of them meet together, it can be potent. And I hope it's a little bit of potency today. Okay, in Deuteronomy 17, we've got the kings of, we've got Moses warning 450 years before there were kings. Isn't that something? There weren't, there were judges for 450 years, but here Moses is telling them when you get a king, I wonder if he was just guessing. When you get a king, this is what he needs to do. Verse 18, it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom. Deuteronomy 17, 18, it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Is that a wonderful little lesson of political science? That a ruler should have the word of God written from the best, purest source possible, and that was the Levites, the scribes of God under the priests, and it should be written and he should have the Word of God all the days of his life to keep him humble and not to turn left or to turn right, but to learn the fear of the Lord. Do you know how we can learn the fear of the Lord? Getting into the Word of God. Diving into the Scriptures and reading it. Finding God's commandments for our lives. Reading about His great works of old. Either Testament. His great works, His great ways, His great statements, His great promises, His great attributes. All of it's in the Bible. This book will feed us so that we will have it and we will be motivated and we will be directed and confined to walking in His fear all the days of our lives. Father in heaven, we pray for our rulers that they might and that there might be some that would take Your Word and read it and learn the fear of the Lord. That we might have a blessed nation and that we, their children, might prosper because of godly rulers. Have mercy, Heavenly Father, and raise up men that fear You and love Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. What is the fear of the Lord? Let's look at it. We just saw that it was to stay humble, that it can be taught, and that kings should learn it. They shouldn't turn to the left hand or to the right hand. This, this little verse here is going to sound so consistent with all the other verses that we've looked at because when we fear the Lord, we make Jehovah our God. When we fear the Lord, we make Jehovah our religion. When we fear the Lord, we walk with God and let Him dictate all the little details and parts of our daily lives. We rule ourselves to please Him. I just want it to be so simple for you and in such a positive way of what it means to fear the Lord. 
Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So here's another aspect or angle or facet of the fear of the Lord. We're trying to reduce our definition to make it as simple as possible. Stand in awe and sin not. Well, if you're not going to sin, why aren't you going to sin? Because you hate evil. Why do you hate evil? Because the God that I fear hates evil. The God that I respect and that I want to honor, that I've chosen for my God, He hates evil. So, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It defines it for us. Stand in awe and sin not. And Solomon goes on to say, Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. You know, I just referred to froward mouths on the parts of wives who speak disrespectfully about or to their husbands. It's a froward mouth. Shut it. There's an evil way of living. What you watch on television, what music you listen to, what friends you hang around with, your five inputs, it's an evil way of life. There's pride and there's arrogancy, a puffed up, haughty idea of yourselves. Hum Before this great God that we worship, let's humble ourselves. Let's get down. Let's choose His way for our way. And let's not turn to the left or the right. And let's hate ditches on both sides. Let's hate ditches of pride, ditches of arrogancy, ditches of a froward mouth, ditches of an evil way. Lord, direct us into Your way, and we will keep it. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, since you're so close. Yes, I'm picking from many, many references that could be used. We will finish on time. You shouldn't be worried about when I finish, but what you're going to do when I finish. Let's fear the Lord. And that means to love and to delight in Him and to walk in His ways and to to keep His commandments and to serve Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Proverbs 3 and verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't get puffed up and think that you've got an excuse or that you have a right to do anything contrary to the Bible. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. And what does it mean? Depart from evil. Previous verse, hate evil. Previous verses, you know, not to walk in an evil way. To sin not. There's so much emphasis on that. Are you willing to sacrifice anything for God? That tells you that you fear Him. When Abraham put Isaac on that altar, around 16 years of age or so, he took the wood up, made Isaac haul his own wood for his own sacrifice, burnt sacrifice was going to be, Isaac's asking, where's the lamb, Dad? And Abraham was trusting mightily that the Lord would provide a lamb. The Lord shall provide a lamb, son. But uh, he got up there and there wasn't any lamb yet, and so he tied Isaac up and put him on that altar. And do you know what the voice said that came thundering out of heaven by the angel of the Lord? Abram! Yes, Abram! Now I know that thou fearest me. Now I know that thou fearest me. How does your love for your family compare to your love of God? If it's in the same universe, you don't fear God. Because in the same universe, they would still be called love. But the Bible says that in order to love God, you need to hate family members that try to separate you from that worship. Right. What is, what is it? Is it a, is it a job? Is it a television program that you are nearly addicted to? Is it a relationship that's become obsessive? 
What is it that that detracts and distracts and keeps you from making God the center of your life? We all all have things that attack us, that the devil uses to distract us, and that steal our time and our affections away. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't let anything encroach upon our relationship with Him and our love and fear of Him. So, you know, this is, this is the Christian religion. This is the religion that's, that's always been. When there was Abraham and Lot, and they looked at the well-watered plains of the Jordan River, Abraham said, because he trusted God, Lot, you pick. Now, if you were the uncle, and Lot were the nephew, wouldn't you say, I'm going to pull rank, bud. I'm going to pull rank, and because I'm the uncle, I'm going to choose. But Abraham didn't do that because Abraham trusted God. Uh, Do you know who ended up richer in the end? Abraham or Lot? Was it close? Was it distant? No, it was very distant between the riches of Abraham and the total poverty of Lot. Because Abraham trusted God. There's that choice. Who really feared God? Abraham did. He's the one that offered his son Lot went right on into the city of Sodom and married his daughters off to the boys from Sodom High School. Lord, help us. Psalm 112. This subject is should be one of your favorites. It's throughout the pages of the Bible. There's so much mentioned of it. And we're just taking a survey to encourage us that when we go out of this room, our thoughts... You were gonna. I will not think that thought. Did you? Do you know that you can do that? I am very thankful for some young men that have come to me recently and told me that they heard that in a sermon and that they've been practicing that and they even tell each other sometimes when a thought can arise. I will not think that thought. You can choose what you think. You can shut it down. Lord, help us to do that more and more. Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. That's a man that fears God right there. You love to praise Him. Because praise is comely for the upright. He's your God. He's your great God. He's your awesome God. You stand in awe of Him. You love to praise Him. But let's get past the introduction to the sentence that makes up verse 1. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in His commandments. So we have another description of what it means to fear the Lord. You delight greatly in His commandments. You don't begrudgingly do them. You delight greatly in them. You know, you men, I may have some things for you on a Wednesday night, and I hope that you will delight greatly in them. I just said some things to you women about reverencing your husbands. I hope that you delight greatly in that. If you don't, you don't fear God. It doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. That isn't the fear of God. The fear of God is departing from evil and delighting greatly in His commandments. And I've tried to make that clear in the last hour and 45 minutes. That's the fear of the Lord. Now it involves other things, but it results and it can be seen. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, there's no fear of God before His eyes. You don't have a right to blow off. Rule it. Shut it down. Let's fear the Lord as a church in all the parts of our lives. Let's delight greatly in His commandments. 
I gave this psalm to you last night as part of the possible readings and meditatings upon psalms because this psalm was read to you last Sunday. Brother Joshua read it to you last Sunday. It's a wonderful psalm. The, the blessings that are promised in here and the descriptive character of the righteous man that fears God is a great psalm. Let's live it. Let's do it. We can. You can. Help us, Lord. What did I, what did I speak on Wednesday night? Was it prayer? Oh, yeah. What gave Cornelius away as a man that feared God? He prayed, prayed all way. When Peter first met Cornelius, he said, uh, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Fe- See, Peter, Peter realized this man fears God. And Acts 10 tells us that Cornelius did fear God. And what, were the, what was the activity that he was engaged in? Charity and prayer. Giving alms to the people and praying always. Because prayer is having a chat with the Lord. Now, Dad, there was a time where I wanted to chat with that little girl most of the time, wasn't there? I'm sorry. His memory is plenty fine for this one. This question. Uh, but you know, if, you, if the Lord is the center of your life, if you truly fear the Lord, if you truly love the Lord, if you're walking with Him, who do you want to be talking to? Is prayer a chore or prayer a pleasure? Prayer is a pleasure. Does He hear you? You know, sometimes when you're talking to a person, you're not sure whether they hear you or not. You understand what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? You know, all that junk that we... Forgive me for even sounding like a three-year-old. But with the Lord, with the Lord, does He hear you? Does he know what you mean? What if you can't choke the words out just right? Does he help you with the words getting out just right? With groanings which cannot be uttered? If you're not sure what to tell him, does he make up for your ignorance in content by praying according to the will of God for you? That's the next verse in Romans 8. It's wonderful. This is walking with God. But the point I'm trying to make right now is prayer is talking to God. It shouldn't be a chore. It should be one of the it should be one of the chief places of pleasure and refuge to be alone and talking to God and thanking Him for all He is to you and telling Him how much you love Him and want to serve Him. Psalm 66. This is just one example, and it certainly isn't the best. It's one of many. How do we increase our fear of the Lord? He gives it. We can stir it up with His Word. We can stir it up with prayer. I've said that thus far. We can stir it up by considering His works that are recorded and revealed in the Bible. In Psalm 66, in verse 5, it says, Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in His doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land for us. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in Him. He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. 
when you read those three verses or you hear those three verses and you're thinking of international affairs, it's exciting that there's a great God that took the strongest, mightiest empire on earth and drowned them in the Red Sea, but took his little slave church that were a bunch of slaves in Egypt threw on dry ground. That, that is one of the, mo- the simplest Bible stories there is. The crossing of the Red Sea, the exodus from the land of Egypt. But it, it encourages us to think about the greatness of God, and He's our God. He led our church in the past through the Red Sea. He's led us through the Red Sea four times. If you remember our history study, we call them crossings of the Red Sea of the Lord delivering us from, from different things. Look at Ephesians 6. Many of you are going to work tomorrow, and many of you are going to school tomorrow, and those that are going to school, let's just pretend it's like going to work, which it isn't. Uh, nobody that you ever work for is going to flatter you like your little teacher will. It's a totally different environment. You're paying her to flatter you. When you get a job, he's paying you to outwork anybody else that he's ever hired. It's just totally different. Just please trust me. Um, you know, if you want to go get a job where you pay the boss to let you work, maybe he'll flatter you. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to, you're going to meet customers. What's going to be the confining, the confining hedge of your actions, your speech, your attitude, attitude toward them? Is attitude important on the job? What do they say? It's very important. You know, what's going to be your measuring stick? It should be the fear of the Lord. Here we go. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of God, Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. It doesn't matter whether you get promotions or not on the job, God is going to measure you by your singleness of heart out of fear and trembling unto Christ. And so our whole lives are encompassed by this worldview, this, this confining aspect of us saying, Jehovah is my God, and His religion is my religion. I will respect Him. I honor Him. I love Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to serve Him. I will obey His commandments. His revelation is the rule for my life. It's that, and you just want to embrace that. I am going to think the way He wants me to think. I am going to hate the thoughts that He hates. I am going to speak the way He wants me to speak. I will hate the kind of speech that He hates. I will do what He wants me to do. I will hate doing anything else. That is the fear of the Lord, and it constrains our whole lives. And it's the best and only way to live. And if you do it, happy shalt thou be. And it shall be well with thee. There is no want to them that fear the Lord. And the blessings and the promises and the blessings and the promises... That he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. You can do it on the job. We can do it when we talk about government. 
Do you know how we show our fear of God? By respecting the government where God picked the offices, the branches of government, and He picked the men that are in, or women, or transvestites, or transgendered, that are in those offices. You know, and that, I probably left off some new words. Um, lesbians? It doesn't matter. God picked the office. God put the person in the office. We honor and fear God by honoring and fearing those that are in the offices that He picked. In the Bible, it connects honor the king, fear God. Fear God, honor the king. Honor God, fear the king. Just back and forth in the pages of Scripture because they are the the ministers of God for good to us. All authority, husbands and parents, are based in the fear of God. And we want to remember that. Wives and children that fear God will reverence husbands and fathers. Unholy living or flirting with the world, who is God's enemy, is heinous spiritual adultery against God, as I have taught so many times. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. You do not fear God. You do not respect Him. You do not want, you, you do not care about displeasing Him if you are flirting with His enemy. His enemy is this world. It's music. It's lifestyle. It's thought processes. It's entertainments. You are an enemy of God. If we're going to fear Him, then we make the world and its things our enemy. That's much safer. If you fear God, you will do the things agreeable to His will and His Word. You will say the things agreeable to His will and His Word. And you will think upon those things. You know it says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 8 that a qualification for bishops is to be a lover of good men. A good man is a man that fears the Lord. Look at Psalm 15. I'm closing with this. This is why we have a church. Our church is to bring together a group of men that fear God to weed out those that don't and that those that do can remain and encourage each other to fear the Lord more and to have that fear of God more pervasive into all the parts of their lives. That's why we have a church. Psalm 15, in verse 4, it is describing the character of men that fear the Lord that will be in heaven in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. The people that end up in heaven are the ones that honor those that fear the Lord. They do not honor based on any other criterion. They honor men based on the fear of the Lord. Now where God tells them to honor someone, they will honor that person because of His office that God has put them in. But notice that these righteous men that make it to heaven... In their eyes, they contemn or condemn vile persons. Persons that don't have a regard for God, that are foolish, that are wicked, froward, they condemn them. But they honor those that fear the Lord. And that's that's what we want as a church. We want a church that honors those that fear the Lord, and we want to be worthy of that honor of each other because we fear the Lord. Look at Exodus 18 and verse 21. We want to always elevate those that fear the Lord. Exodus 18, 21. 
This is Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, telling Moses that he needs to pick some assistance to help him before the nation of Israel wears him out. Exodus 18.21 Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God. Notice that description. The real quality or the real qualification of a man that deserves leadership is that he fears God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such men over them. Wonderful description. They fear God. Brethren, look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And what we should do in this church and how we should help each other. And I am so thankful every time I hear about texts going out and you encouraging each other in the Lord. It's what we need to continue to do as a church. We can build up our fear of the Lord, the proper fear, the godly fear that we ought to have. Psalm 119. 63. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Do you remember a couple of weeks, 18 days ago, I preached to you from Psalm 101. Psalm 101, David said, I will behave myself in a perfect way. I'll keep a perfect heart in my house. He said all those wonderful things, but there were, there were verses three through seven were four verses where he said, I will not, I will not allow any wicked men, I will not allow fools in my house, around me, I will not abide them. David was very strict about the people he communicated with and associated with and talked with and worked with and allowed even his domestic servants in his house. And here it is. Here's the positive side. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. I will reject everyone else because I want to have as my companions those that fear thee and them that keep thy precepts, because that is the fear of God. To fear God is to not sin, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments. So we want to be around people like that, and we want to build that and encourage that in our church. Look at verse 74. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me. Look at that verse. Because I have hoped in thy word. That is one of the consequences of fearing God is to hope in the Word of God. But men that fear the Lord should be glad to see you or glad to see me because they know, oh yeah, we have everything in common. We think the same way. We view life the same way. We have everything to talk about. There won't be any disagreements because the Word of God is the foundation for all of our hope and all of our trust and the way that we approach life. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me. Let's all be that man that makes those that fear God to be glad. Verse 79. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. I want to meet every person that fears God. If you don't fear God, you need to find another friend. And that's the attitude that we all should have. I want to meet everyone that we can that fears God. And the Lord's given us a witty invention, and I try to share some of those men with you and women with you from time to time that fear God and contact us. We want them to turn to us. This is the fear of the Lord. We serve a holy God, and we should pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. He has no respect of persons, and He judges according to every man's works. 1 Peter 1.17 What do you need to repent of and get out of your life so that you can fear God more perfectly? 
Do you need to spend more time in His Word, more time alone, more time meditating, musing upon Him, more time in prayer? Do you need to get some form of entertainment out of your life? Is it the internet? Is it a friendship? Are you working too many hours at the job? Is your job a place of temptation for you? Are you involved in some hobby or exercise program or or athletic endeavor where you're around too much? What do you need to do to fear the Lord better? Do you need, do you need to memorize some Bible verses about His greatness and His glory? Do you need to meditate upon Psalm 4-4, stand in awe and sin not? What do you need? Do it. Let's fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. He that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. And countless other promises. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him. I would love for the Lord to take pleasure in our church, your family, and you, and me. May the Lord bless us to that end. Amen.